Hello and welcome to Let It Be, a podcast about less doing and more being. This is episode 70. So, Brooke, <laughs> I have rewritten the introduction to this show about 30 times now. A um, couple of reasons. Um, one, the first is it's going to be our final show. Maybe not forever, but maybe forever too. We just, we're not sure. So, we just, I wasn't sure where to start with the introduction side of things or how to, you know, lead into this episode. So, I thought a good place to start might be to let listeners in on what's been going on in our respective lives wow. for the past six months because <laughs> uh, that's when we last recorded in July. And uh, it's been a bit crazy town since July, particularly for you. It's been. Nuts. It's actually been the most nuts <laughs> year of my life. I, I can't think of a way to dress that up to make it sound mindful or anything like that. It has just been nuts this past six months. I can't I actually can't believe it's been six months. No, it doesn't it feel like two years? Yes. I was recording for Straight and Curly. Carly and I recorded our kind of wrap-up show last week for uh, our wrap-up of 2017. And I said to her, do you know what? The start of this year does not feel like, you know, nine to 12 months ago it feels like two years ago it's it has just felt like the longest year and that's for me so I can only imagine you feel like it's been three years wrapped into one yeah it's just it's a weird thing because I feel that kind of typical end of the year situation where I'm like wow wow it's December already but then also I'm like of course it's December but it's clearly December 2020 because <laughs> I like when I look back at what happened at the beginning of this year, I, it genuinely surprises me that it happened this year. And I've never had a year like that. I've had years that you kind of, you know, the Gretchen Rubin thing, like the days are long, but the years go fast. Yeah. Or, you know, and yeah, the days are long, that. the years are short. Yes. Yeah. And, and I get that. And that's normally kind of how I feel. This year's this weird kind of combination of so very, very much and also like time stretching out in a, in a strange way. Have you felt you felt the same? Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, things just feel like forever ago. For instance, um, Aunt and I were in the Philippines at a conference in March and it feels like that conference was two years ago, not nine months ago. Mm. Uh, you know, I, we had our Simpler Way uh, event in Sydney in April. I spoke at ProBlogger at the end of July and early August and speaking at ProBlogger feels like a year ago mm. and that was really only a few months ago. So, yeah, and is I'm trying to figure out why it is because certainly like for me, lots has happened this year but not more than usual and if anything, probably less than usual. So whereas for you, it's been the complete opposite, just – there's just a lot of stuff has gone down and a lot of quite intense stuff has gone down. So I don't know why I feel that way, but yeah, maybe you should fill, fill the listeners in on what's been going on for you since July, basically, or even a little ahead of that. Because when did, when did you decide to wind up Jackrabbit? Was it about July? Yeah, it was. So we went away up to Byron uh, for a week. Ben had a like a leadership mentoring camp up there. And so we went camping while he was doing that. And that was 
the June school holidays, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that was the, I remember precisely the moment where I thought this things need to change because I had the release of my second book coming up and I had an inkling that that was going to be more intense than the first release. And the reality with Jackrabbit was that it wasn't a hands-off kind of system-based business that I could kind of bring in a team of people to help me run in the, the time that I was doing it. It was quite intense. So that was, yeah, June. And then the next couple of months were spent <laughs> wrapping that up. And as you know, that was a nightmare. Yeah, like as someone who was on the, on the network, it was awful. And I carried around so much stress and guilt and anxiety as that was wrapping up, partly because of wrapping something up. And, you know, I struggled to not feel like I was a failure of a person, but also because of the impact that it was having on everyone who was on the network. I felt just wretched about the whole thing and, and it wasn't helped by itunes oh god no. making no, no. things like everyone is promising to make things quite smooth and then in the end their whole Not. setup and system just just yeah things that we thought would go over from one feed to another didn't and it just oh. made everything harder for you guys and then also any of us who were going oh my gosh, this isn't, you know, we've lost all our reviews and now that's your problem, even though yeah. it's not, it's iTunes problem. But so it, it was all those little subtleties, wasn't it, that you just, you're not prepared for or think about. Oh, that's it. I mean, I said to someone about two thirds of the way through the process, had you told me what <laughs> this would look like, I, I really question whether or not I would have made the change. And of course I made the change for a good reason yeah. and I still stand by that reason and I don't regret it at all. Uh, but it was the like the angst and the anxiety and the the upset and you know the oh the it was awful it, it was really the stuff was that awful. you were having to carry even though you know that you were having to you were carrying a lot of stuff that was yours but then you were also having to carry stuff that wasn't really anything to do with you but was by association so yeah it was one of those really difficult situations yeah it was just very emotionally taxing uh and then of course tied into all of that was getting ready for the book launch and that involved a lot of writing of sort of opinion pieces and lots Mm. of interviews and media and uh you know finalizing the book and then the book was they were preparing to to get the book out into the american market so i was starting to work with my publisher over there there was just a lot of things that happened at once that had i not wound up Jackrabbit. I, I mean, Jackrabbit would have imploded in the second half of the year had I not wrapped it up because I just, there's only so many hours in a day, right? And and that was one of the reasons that it's absolutely the best call that I made this year was to to wind it up and help everyone move over Ahead to being independent. Ahead of all of that stuff yes. happening, yeah. Yeah, and I think I knew that. I couldn't maybe articulate it, but I, I could see that on the horizon um, you know, as I was thinking about it in June, July and seeing that I couldn't even take a week away where I thought I had everything prepared ahead of time and everything still kind of fell apart. So it was, yeah, you know, I was thinking about what you were saying about how this year for you feels longer, even though you feel like you haven't had as much on as you think you have, but I think it's about change. I don't necessarily think it's about busyness. I think it's about change because change takes a lot of it takes up a lot of bandwidth, doesn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Because, yeah, I mean, I did make 
Um, well, I made one major significant change in the middle of the year where I let go of my my editorial job with Flying Solo, which I really, really loved. And then, you know, there's a transition period working myself out of that role. It's not like, you know, okay, I quit and I'm gone. It's, there's, mm. a, there's always the – and I think that's what it is. It's a transition period that takes and eats up a lot of time and emotional energy and usually – even though you're transitioning out of one thing, it's not like you transition out of one thing and then once you've transitioned out of that thing, then you pick up the next thing. Like That'd you're, be nice. Yeah, you're transitioning out and in at the same time and it, it's very tiring but it's also it's super intense as well because um, you're, you're trying to leave where, wherever you've left, you're trying to leave that better than it was before while you know working your way back into a a new kind of system and it's the energy that it takes to try and do the right thing by everybody is humongous and Mm. yeah like I said I I definitely haven't had the year that you've had but yeah I've had a lot my major major project for the year has been working on someone else's book and that's been interesting and fun and incredibly time consuming and a different kind of emotional energy because it's it's not my book but it sort of is yeah and you know I'm deeply invested in its success both commercially but also I'm deeply invested in it helping people and hitting people where we've pitched the book to to hit them which is you know I guess change their worldview so the book I've been working on with is with James Shramko. He's, uh, I don't even hate what you describe him, I guess, a business coach for one of a better word. Um, he in the past has really been very behind the scenes with high level people working with them on their businesses. And he's been, you know, transitioning to helping people like me and I guess you, Brooke, rationalize their business operations and figure mm-hmm. out how to make them more profitable or how to run your businesses better and also have a life at the same time because at the end of the day like his core belief is there's no point working now to live later we need to be able to work now and live now as well mm. so yes yeah, so I wanted to make sure that and the book is called work less make more it's a counter and I can't even remember. I can never remember. Oh, no, I've got the book here on my desk. So maybe I can read off the thing because I can never remember subtitles. So it's the I'm counter- so bad with subtitles. <laughs> it's the worst. Uh, I can't remember subtitles on my own books. So it's the counterintuitive approach to building a profitable business and a life you actually love. So the title is making, the title and subtitle are making big promises. So I'm deeply invested in making sure this book delivers on the promise that that title is making. So, and this has been 18 months in the, in the working since I first approached James and said, Hey, you know, you should write a book. You've got a lot of uh, stuff in your head that is not out in the world, but could be, Mm. and could be helping people. And so that book was released uh, only last week. Uh, We're recording this on the 18th and it was released on the 11th. So it's been a really long, intense process because it also is because I'm working with someone on getting their book out into the world, uh, effectively ghostwriting it for them. It's not just me working on the writing and the editing and making it happen. It's working with James. It's getting him past sticking points so that I can get out of him what I need 
to do the next step and then he's got to go through and do what he needs to do to make sure the book sounds like him and there's just been a lot of moving parts to it all so it's been a a really full-on and interesting process and now that it's out in the world it's, it's getting the reviews that I personally hoped it would but it has, yeah, it's made for a very long year because that book has basically taken up the whole year and I think that's why a large part of the reason and in amongst everything else that you do, like, you know, it's not like I only get to work on this book and that's it, that's my job. I've got a business to run and I was editing Flying Solo and I had several speaking engagements peppered through the year and I guess that's a big thing for you, Brooke, is that, when your books came out, and I guess there's one thing to highlight for people that just one book coming out is pretty intense and you feel very exposed. And so this is an interesting thing. So this book, James's book, is not my book. It's his book. It's all his ideas. You know, my role in this book was taking his ideas and words and arranging them in such a way that you know, it's a marketable kind of entity, this book. So it's not my thoughts and words that are going out into the world, yet I still feel very, a little bit exposed because it's like, if people don't like this book, I feel like it's going to be my fault. Mm. Whereas your books, it's your thoughts, it's your words. Slow is very much your story as well. So it was a very personal book and it's quite intense having just one book out in the world. You've got, you've got, two out in the world at the same time because it came out in Australia and then at the same time Destination Simple was launched in the US. Slow came out in Australia and then is all the interviews and the book tours and the stuff that are involved with talking about the book. How sick are you of yourself right now? Oh mate I am so (laughs) tired of talking about myself. I I hit this point in about October. And let me preface this by saying I am so incredibly grateful for the opportunity to speak to people and the opportunity to talk to people about the ideas of slow and my story and and all of that stuff. I I genuinely and truly am, but I am also genuinely, (laughs) genuinely and truly fed up with my own voice (laughs) and with telling people things about myself, you know. And the thing that is hard, honestly hard for me to to separate, I guess, from my own self-talk is the fact that the vast majority of the time that I'm sharing stuff with people, it's the first time they've heard it, but it's quite possibly the 200th time I've said it. And in my head, I can't help but think, how are they not bored? How are they not sick of it? How are they not like skeptical or cynical or rolling their eyes or thinking that I'm full of crap or, you know, and like they're not, but it's been really hard to get out of my own way the more, the more tired I got, the more, um, you know, people tired I got, the harder it was to get out of my own way when I was giving these, you know, book talks or speaking at these events or even doing media interviews and stuff like that. So that has been an unexpected challenge. I did not expect that side of it. I expected the vulnerability hangover. I expected to feel like a bit terrified realizing that the things that I sat in my own house on my computer writing onto my, onto a page are now in other people's houses. Like, I knew that that would freak me out. But I also was completely 100% fine with everything I shared. So I wasn't, it wasn't a, you know, an issue of regret or anything. But it was the, I think just the exhaustion of, of sharing my own story time and time again. And, and wanting, like I, I kind of adopted this idea that you brought to me 
a year or two ago of I wanted to deliver value to people. I wanted it to be helpful. <laughs> oh God, I wanted I, it to be. You took on my perfectionistic yeah. thought. <laughs> yeah, but I just, I mean, it, yeah, it was one of those things that I genuinely hadn't really considered before when I was just sharing, like just telling people stuff. But when, I don't know, it, there was a shift and I think it was partly with this becoming quite literally my job as yeah. well that I needed to take it seriously and turn up for people and they ask me a question I need to give them a bloody good answer but the the thing that was hard in the end was that I felt like I was just giving the same answer which doesn't mean it's not valid because it is but yeah so the the head stuff has been a real it's been a real kind of confidence issue for me by the end of it. I'm having a big crisis of confidence yeah I think for people don't realize quite often is that thing where, as you said, the people hearing you are hearing it for the first time, but because you have said it 30 times already or 100 times already and because you've also written it any number of times, I mean, it doesn't feel fresh to you and it's Mm. a real challenge to remember that this is fresh to the people here listening to it and you – to, to try and keep that freshness in your voice and in your manner, it takes a huge amount of energy. And as you say, it's a very privileged position to be in, but I, th- I would suspect it takes a lot of practice to be able to constantly remind yourself when you've spoken about something a hundred times over that that whole thing that yes, this you may have spoken about this a hundred times, but the people listening haven't heard it a hundred times you've got to honour that fact that this is the first time they're hearing it. And, you know, I guess maybe when you're Gretchen Rubin, you're well practised at doing this, but, you know, neither you or I are quite there yet. And, yeah, so this is a new experience for you, this level of exposure that you've had. And, yeah, I would love to speak to you in, you know, two or three years' time when you've had, like, your next best-selling book come out and see (laughs) if it's gotten easier or whether it's still that same because you've got this like real inner mean girl. We've spoken about it on previous episodes where you've just got this voice in your head and thankfully I don't, so I've never really experienced this, but you've got this voice in your head that's constantly telling you, yeah, really, Brooke? Yeah, you know, really? That people mm. are so sick of you right now and, mm-hmm. you know, people, you're so full of shit and, and mm-hmm. so you're not just battling the the natural fatigue of, I've said this a hundred times, how do I make it fresh when I say it the hundred and the first time? You've also got this voice in your head going, yeah, nah, everyone is so over you, that you you've been everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's such a difficult thing to navigate and it's things, um, it, it's one of those things about when you dream about being a published author and having your book promoted as you know, your publisher's done a really great job of putting you out there and getting you out there. And not every published author uh, receives that level of you know, push and promotion from their publisher. So you kind of dream of this, but then it's one of those things where the reality never, ever matches up to the, the dream of it, does it? And then you feel compelled to go, but I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. But yeah, it's just yeah, it's just one of those things where the grass always seems greener on the other side, and then you get there and go, "All right, this yep. in my head, this looks so much better than what it really is." Yeah, exactly. And it was—I mean, I couldn't have known. There is no. no way that I could have known what it looked like. 
but I did have a conversation with uh, my publisher about the beginning of the book tour. And, you know, I said, look, I'm just giving myself over to this process. I know I'm not a performer. I'm not someone who enjoys, um, you know, being front and center. I'm not someone who, who I, I don't, I never wanted to feel like I was giving a rote kind of yeah. performance or like a just just standing up and giving people the same same sound bites over and yeah, over exactly yeah. but I said you know I'm giving myself over to this process and she said well if you if you want it to be your job which I do mm. uh, if you want it to be your job then this is just a just a shitty part of the job <laughs> you know for you if like it depends on the person of course but for me it's just part of the job and everyone has parts of their job that they don't love that kind of run counter to their strengths and this is mine and I think it's a matter of just figuring out strategies and techniques for better dealing with it and I had a few moments when I was doing events and things like that where things went really well despite being nervous despite feeling you know that snarky voice in the back of my head going everyone's bored you know so meditating on uh on on not on not sitting there and simply meditating but meditating on the idea that I am never going to say something that everyone agrees with. So I may as well say the thing that I mean and say it well and just let the response be the response. And the days that I did that and managed to actually do it were my best days. They were days where I walked away from an interview going, that was really enjoyable and great and I felt like I said what I wanted to say. Or I walked away from an event and people had connected in a way that it doesn't always feel like they do because I think I just stood there and, and gave my thoughts rather than kind of qualifying myself yeah. around. Yeah. You know, I, I never want to want to be the person to rub anyone the wrong way. So I'm like, well, in my opinion, in my experience and in this, but that doesn't always work for everyone and blah, blah. Like all of which is true. But I have the tendency, I think, to try and placate that voice in my head by trying to appeal to everyone. Yeah. It doesn't work. So I have a question for you. Liz Gilbert, in recent years, she has stopped doing book signings because a lot of people are still reading Eat, Pray, Love mm-hmm. and they, they're coming up to her and they are in a place where she was 15 years ago and she can't meet them where they are anymore because yep. she is just the, a totally different person to the person who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Did you have any problems meeting people where they are? Because they would be where you were six or seven mm. years ago, you know? That's a really good question, actually. I can see maybe a time in the future where that – not that I, I would never be empathetic, but where I'm just so far removed yeah. from that place. But no, not not yet, not now, and maybe never. But uh, because I think I still have that tendency – to drift back towards anxiety or back towards depression if I don't look after myself. So it's never that far away for me. It's never so far away that it feels alien or foreign. Yeah. So you don't feel like you are just so you you feel like yes, you obviously you've grown and you're a different person to the mm. you know, that person six, seven, eight years ago, but you're not so far removed from that person that you've you've forgotten who that person is. No, and I think the reason I adopted the ideas of slow living are because I desperately needed to. You know, my nature is not a chilled out, <laughs> go with the flow kind of person, which is why I think slow living has had such a massive impact on the way that I live because it is counter to my natural tendencies. So 
and I think that that helps me to always meet people where they are, even if they're at the very beginning of it, because I remember what it's like. And I know that sometimes, you know, if I get overwhelmed, if I get too busy, those well-worn tracks of old habits appear. Yeah. And it can be really easy to slip back into them if I don't keep the lessons of the last six or seven years top of mind. So for now, no, but I can understand why people feel like that because you know you do change and you put something on the page and you can't update it. No. <laughs> you, you know, it's not like yeah. you, it's not a, a website where you can just go in and add a couple of, you know, ETA sort of caveats at the top saying this was this was applicable in 1997, <laughs> but now it's not so much, you know, you click over here for where I'm at these days. Uh, so I often think about that when I'm reading um, Stephen King. Uh, in, in On writing, yeah. he, he writes that he says that writing is a form of time travel. And I, I think that's a nicer way for me to think about it. You know, you're traveling from your present moment to my past. And while people may not necessarily always understand that or, or be able to see that when they adopt these ideas or, or become immersed in ideas. For me, it's just an easier way to think about it. Saying it's time travel. That's where I was when I wrote it. This is where I am now. That's where you are. And, you know, so I, I quite like that idea. Yeah. I was so interested to hear how you answer that question because I did wonder. Uh, I think I asked for that from my own point of view because I've been having troubles with my blog this year because I feel like now the gap between between me and my readers, the people coming into my blog is getting too big and I'm having right. difficulty remembering what it was like six, seven, eight years ago when I was, you know, deep in overwhelm and depression and anxiety and stress. And what you said there about the fact that you're never far, you feel like right now you're never far away from falling back into those well-worn grooves of behavior that you tend to revert to when things get pressured. I guess where I am now, so in the past, as soon, you know, when life was good, life was good, but as soon as life got pressured, my coping mechanism was to do more. Mm. I don't do that anymore. And so, so I don't fall into overwhelm and overcommitment and burnout anymore, which is quite, yeah, I'd never actually even realised that until you just said it just then, that I don't revert to those behavioural patterns anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting place to be because it's a disconnect because now, so you're very connected to your readers at the moment because you can meet them where they are. I feel disconnected from mine because I can't. And I need to find right. a new place to meet them now. So it's a really yeah. interesting. And I think almost you might have felt that a little bit while ago when you shifted from po- um, writing on your blog to podcasting. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I think you were struggling to meet your readers through the written word. But then when you started podcasting, it changed everything for you. So, And it was interesting that yeah. it's the format that allowed you to do that. And certainly for me, you know, this, this podcast and the Straight and Curly podcast have allowed me to still be in the same space but meet people in a different place. But but that's because, you know, the conversations I get to have with you, the conversations I got to have, get to have with Carly, they just bring a different subtlety and a different aspect to it that I can't get to myself. So, yeah. Hmm. I will say that writing the book I think really helped because I ha- I was forced to go back mm. to where I was, you know, as I was experiencing 
postnatal depression for the first time and struggling with anxiety and overwhelm and coming to realize the way that I coped with things or the way that I, like you said, yes to more and added more and did more in order to try and find some kind of happiness or contentment. Like it was actually very helpful in that, in, in terms of meeting people where they are having to write the book because I really had to go back and look at what did that look like? What did it feel like? What got me there? What were the steps that I took to move beyond it? So the thing I do struggle with, and <laughs> we're going through an interesting example of this at the moment is going back to the very specific things, you know, um, let's say decluttering, yeah. for yeah. example, <laughs> going back to the headspace and the struggle and the overwhelm that people are experiencing first time round. That's so far in the past for me that sometimes it can be hard to remember what it felt like. Yeah. And Ben and I are packing up the house at the moment, getting ready to put, you know, a small amount of our stuff in storage, give away everything else before we go to Canada for next year and I'm like it's essentially a mass decluttering exercise and I said to Ben recently and I feel like I need to apologize to people because I think I'd forgotten (laughs) how 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 stressful it can be and how taxing it can be and how over it you get of making these decisions time and time again keep it toss it keep it toss it you know and so I think that going back and forcing myself into that headspace or to do something that people who are going through it for the first time have to do has been really helpful and has gotten me back to where they are. So I had never actually considered it before, but I think I certainly went through where you're at now a couple of years ago and it was actually the writing of Slow that helped me to get back into people's, in the same sort of headspace. Yeah, interesting. And which probably makes me feel like I'm, closer to that level of anxiety and overwhelm than I maybe actually am, if that makes yeah, sense. I, I definitely. Like it, it just feels so familiar and I remember it so well, not to say that I'm going to dive headfirst back into it because no thank you yeah. very much. No, that's actually interesting because I remember I, the very first book I wrote that I never, I never published, I kind of released it to my readers, but I wrote it four and a bit years ago. And it was almost a a memoir style. It was, for all intents and purposes, a memoir. And it kind of went through the the bits of my life that led to me becoming this, you know, perfectionistic person who, you know, overcommitted to everything and tried to be everything to everyone. And then it went through those years of of where I was at my worst. And it was like, I kind of had no idea until I wrote that book just how bad those years were because I was living mm-hmm. them. And when you're living something and you're in it, you're just, you're just getting through it and you're not really giving a lot of thought to what's actually happening. And then it's when you, when you revisit it that you go, whoa, that was a really yeah. intense full-on period. Was it hard writing slow? Did it really did it take mm-hmm. you back and really kind of tear you up a bit inside? Yeah, it did. It, it did. It was very taxing. So people are asking me already about the next book and aside from wanting to burst into tears when they mention it, um, I, I just don't know if I could write another book like it. Yeah. Partly because I think I've pretty much told those stories and I'm glad I did, but I I feel like it would get kind of self-absorbed or navel-gazy mm-hmm. or something if I tried to find another book's worth of stories like that. Yeah, those those but are were, those per, very deeply personal stories. Like they're almost – they're the easier books to write almost because there's no research involved. But yeah. 
yeah, they're a hell of a lot of soul. Yeah, and there's a lot of like mm. what if what of what I've written is useful, and which are the self indulgent bits, and yeah, trying to figure out and and obviously that's a, an editor helps with, but it's it's hard finding the line. Yeah, it is. But there were absolutely parts of that book that I sat down and wrote and f- just felt ripped to shreds mm. afterwards because I, I chose to be honest yeah you know there was like, I was 90% of the way there the, the final 10% hurt a lot but like why bother doing this if you're not going to be honest if you're not going to put it out there for people and what I've discovered over the past six years of writing is that people always respond when I'm yes. honest um, not you know not in an oversharing capacity but just being honest and this is what I want to share and this is how I'm going to share it because this is actually what happened. Yeah, particularly looking back at times when the kids were little mm. and I was not there, you know, I was, I was pretty much absent in all ways but physical for them when they were little. And, uh, you know, as someone who has spent so many years and so much energy learning how to be present and understanding the benefits of being present and seeing the benefits of me turning up for my family it really was tough to look back and see what they missed out on and what I missed out on for those first couple of years when I was just basically a zombie. At, <laughs> you know, at best, I was a zombie. At worst, I was some kind of shrieking banshee, you know, and it, it forced me to, to look back and question what kind of damage that did and to me and to my relationships and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I also came away from writing it with the very distinct uh, opinion that I wasn't happy that it happened and I wasn't happy for I wasn't happy for what the depression and anxiety did to the people I loved and our relationships but I'm glad that it happened because I've learnt so much from it and and, and that's grown, a kind of and I think cuz this is something yeah. that like kind of occurred to me the other day that it's one thing to learn it's another thing to actually grow as a result of those learnings, because I have noticed in mm. the past, I, I, someone pointed out something about somebody else to me where, you know, I said, look, this person's always very honest about their failings and la da 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 And they, they said to me, yes, but I'm not seeing a lot of growth there. And when I reflected on it, I was like, yeah, you know what? You're right. They're, they're honest about their failings, but they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And I think that's when it gives me gratitude and hopefully, and you just mentioned this yourself with your situation that there were hard lessons to learn, but both you and I didn't just learn from them. We did grow and now looking back. So even mm. though looking back, it's quite like, oh my God, I can't believe my family had to put up with this because your story is very similar to mine and I do the same. I look back and go, I cannot believe Ant stayed with me, you know, basically mm-hmm. like he had to put up with so much. But at least I can sit here now and know that I'm not that person and I'm not doing that, not making the same mistakes, basically. And I think you can quite honestly say the same about yourself and know that in your heart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I I really like that distinction between learning and and growing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, there have been times where I've learned Mm. and I could say, yeah, that was the mistake that I made. And then. Six months later, I'm making it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I think actually in the, the growing is where change happens and change is hard. Like it's work. Yes. <laughs> and that's those grooves you talk about is that, you know, you fall back into those grooves. Like change is 
you know, is staying out of those grooves basically. Mm. And the longer you stay out of them, the long, you know, the more able you are to wear new grooves, like more, yeah. you know, better grooves for a better, you know, more better grooves. <laughs> I speak good English. Um, <laughs> I, I'm a writer too. <laughs> this is my profession. <laughs> um, yeah. So the longer we're able to stay out of those, you know, the, the bad behavior grooves and go into the, and weave new good ones. Oh my God. <laughs> It's the end of the year, Kel. It's fine. <laughs> How many words have I written this year? I'm done. How many words have I spoken? Exactly. That's your quota. Your quota is done. It's it's fine. It's after the middle of December. I you know totally accept. But uh, but yeah, I think the important thing is being able to look back and go, wow, I that's who I was, but I'm not that person anymore. It's such a gratifying thing. And I don't know about you, but I, I too have a lot of guilt about what I put my family through. But I also look at them now and I can't see any visible signs of damage. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I feel good about the resilience of not just myself, but of my family. And I know that a lot of the stuff that we think is terrible is not irreparable. You know, mm. we can put people through a lot. And as long as there's love and understanding, uh, the unconditional kind of love that is usually reserved for partners and family, if we've got that unconditional love, yeah, that pretty much most stuff can be repaired. So we're not, you know, I guess the message I'm trying to give to people out there is if you're in a place where you're worried about the damage that you're doing to your family, just know that it's probably not as much as you think, but that doesn't Mm. mean to keep going yeah let's do something about it and try and make some forward motion yeah so speaking of forward motion like a year ago you off mic were telling me about your Canada dream Mm -hmm. and you're you've realized that Canada dream you are going to live there next year so how does that feel are you fully freaked out has it sunk (laughs) in you know, will it stick in before you get there? Like when you get there, do you think? That's a good question. I, I it hasn't fully sunk in. I have moments, um, kind of like a break in 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 the clouds, where like the excitement kind of <laughs> shoots through, and I'm like, oh my god, we're coming in like forty days or something. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, then life continues, and I get back into the things that need doing. Um, but I think whenever we're lucky enough to travel, I always really kind of relax into it soften into it except that it's happening when I'm at the airport or when I'm on my way you know when we're in the car (laughs) when we're on the road trip whatever it may be that's when I'm there which is kind of nice I think I I I love the anticipation I love the the lead up to a a trip as well Uh, but I think the fact that it's not until we're on our way that I get truly excited means maybe that I'm not living too much in the future either I'm living in, yeah. in the moment of getting things ready and doing life before we go so I'm I mean I'm beyond excited to to be heading off and I mean I just it, it's such a it's such a strange thing I mean we've traveled for maybe up to a month before in various trips and that's always wonderful but it's always finite as well yes next yeah. year we don't really know beyond the first few months of what's happening. So we're heading over the end of January. We've got the first three months accommodations booked. Like we're just renting a house for a month at a time and just slowing down and spending time because, I mean, we'll be working 
the kids will be doing schooling, distance ed schooling. So it's not like we can just be traveling and, and holidaying for a year. But it, then the book comes out, the second book, Slow, comes out in America in the middle of 2018. So we'll do a book tour, yeah. which I'm figuring out what that looks like now. But it'll be two or three, mo- two or three months. <laughs> <laughs> um, a whole new opportunity with... for you to get really sick of yourself. <laughs> exactly. You know, well, and I've learned a lot. I'm going into this quite differently. So that will be yeah. good. Yeah. 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 And I mean, really, we don't even know what that entails other than at this time on this date, we'll be in this place. So it's and, and after that, because we're selling our house, we we really don't know what it's going to look like. And it's 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 a funny feeling living in the unknown. I, I'm quite enjoying it. It's very liberating. I mean, this is your this is your dream life, isn't yeah. it? You embrace the unknown and, yep. and uncertainty and you see it as completely exciting. I mean, I'd be in the fetal position right now. I'd be like, where are we going to live? Where are the kids? You know, I need I need book tour dates now. What cities we're going to be in? Is it all needs to be organised? And you're just like, yeah, this is this is fun. Yeah, so it it genuinely is, and I can hear your discomfort coming through the line. Having complete conniptions. What do you mean you don't know where you're going to be in six months? Oh, you know, but we're kind of. I mean, it's, it would have been easy for me to never experience that feeling again, truly, because it's comfortable knowing where you're at. Yeah. And for me, even for me, and I love change, it's comfortable for me to know where we're going to live and where <laughs> the kids will go to school and other such important things that we need to know as adults. And I can see, I could have, could see myself never living in like that huge unknown again. So we decided to kind of shape it as an experiment for ourselves yeah. for the next 12-ish months and genuinely truly try to live in the unknown and in the what's gonna happen next or I wonder what will happen if or and it's it is liberating I know it sounds terrifying and I I get it because sometimes I am terrified as well and I think because we committed to it as a whole thing you know we decided to sell we decided to yeah create an anchorless life for a while just to see what that felt like it feels different yes I think had we kept the house and rented it out which was our initial plan it would feel different not better or worse but just different and, just and so this kind is of like, like a, it's a safe well as you say it's a, it's like an anchor or it's almost like a safety blanket so you yeah. kind of created a safety blanket by selling the house because obviously you've freed up capital but at the same time you've removed one as well yes. so yeah, exactly. Interesting. We removed a lot of complicating factors, I think, by selling the house, yeah. just in terms of logistics and administrative stuff. And that wasn't the, the big reason, but that's one of the, the results of it is that we have removed quite a few complicating factors. We've also added some, you know, <laughs> because we will come home at some point and then the question yeah. will be, well, where do we live and what does that look like? And do we rent? Do we build? Do we whatever? But that's okay. Like I, I just... I'll be fine. And I'm kind of shifting towards the let's, you know, deal with that when we get to it kind yeah. of mentality rather than let's freak out about it, even if we don't know that it's going to be a problem, you know, yeah. which is what I probably used to do. I used to live in the, the future what ifs and make them terrifying. Yeah. Mm. I'll, I'll, I, I shall live this following year through you vicariously and, okay. and enjoy the ride. <laughs> so what have you enjoyed most this year, Brooke? <laughs> out of Ooh. this this three year long year 
Yes, this thousand day year. (laughs) uh, What have I enjoyed? I've enjoyed, I have enjoyed immensely reading. That's one thing that I have just made time for. I always do. And if I, if I've got a good book on the go, I'm pretty happy. That plus my discovery of, of meditation and the massive impact, positive impact it's had on my life over the past 12 months has been fantastic. Yeah. But always, always a good book. What about you? Yeah, it's been such a weird year. I think the thing I have most enjoyed, which will sound strange to people, is helping James with his book. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it would seem weird to to people to have for a writer to love helping someone else write their book, but it's been really fun for me. I think because I've been very invested in it. I've been very invested in the ideas and his ideas and knowing that those ideas wouldn't get out in the world and help people if I'm not there to help him get them out of his head and onto a piece of paper. So, you know, he can podcast as much as he likes and do videos and stuff, but some people just want to read and they want to see words and thoughts and ideas arranged in a very logical and specific way. And so that's just been, I've really, really enjoyed doing it. I want to do more of it. Uh, Yeah, I've really yeah, I really, a lot of people think, oh, that's just something you do to make money so that you can write your own books. I do want to write my own books, obviously, still, but I'm, yeah, totally not averse to helping other people with theirs and I'm starting to do more and more of that now and it's it's interesting times. That's what I'm hoping to do a lot more of next year and, yeah, slowly work myself out of design, which mm. is where I, you know, which I love doing and where I, you know, make my income now, my main income. Because, yeah, I wrote a post recently called How Do I Fund My Creative Life? Because a lot of people seem to think that I make lots of money writing and that I sit at home all day and write. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, actually, we've got a business and the business is what pays our bills and I must work in that business to help the business pay our bills. And then, you know, I get a couple of days at home a week to work on writing projects so and which has really enjoyed this year I've enjoyed having those two days a week at home since I finished up at flying solo that was kind of a a deal that Ant and I cut he said if you come back into the business I will gift you you know you you can be three days in the business and two days at home doing your own personal projects and that's what I guess has really allowed me to work on James's book Mm. and I'm looking to you know shifted away like maybe two days in the business and three days writing next year and slowly keep shifting that balance to one day maybe being five days but yeah that's what I've enjoyed I've really enjoyed helping him but I also enjoy helping other authors who may not need my help specifically writing but they might need help structurally or developmentally helping them with that so yes that's been I'm really excited to see what the the next year holds for you Kel because I feel like you've like I said earlier, there's been a lot of change mm. for you and I, like you're kind of, you're getting somewhere and I know you sort of feel. Yeah, it does feel like we're getting closer. With your, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm getting closer yeah. to that. I, d- I, do, I do feel a disconnect from my blog readers, yes. uh, which is disconcerting and because I deeply want to help them and as you say, like my big thing in life is, uh, if I'm communicating or connecting with you, I want to add value to your life. And mm. right now I feel uh, disturbed that I 
I'm struggling to add value to my readers' lives. And they would probably say, no, you're not. You're doing a good job. Um, I can guarantee that's what they say. (laughs) But, you know, by my own standards, I... I want to be doing better and yeah so it's it's a real but having said that you know so working with James here I have added value to his life in helping him bring this book out into the world and other people I've worked with since in an editorial capacity have said similar things so that's a really exciting avenue for me but it's you know it's it's moving away from writing self-help and self-improvement kind of stuff and it's moving towards helping other people get their ideas into the world and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird shift because I still have my book that I want to write which my next book which we've spoken about for which is over thinkers anonymous uh I got stuck with that book uh, another reason I quit flying solo was to finally get that book written because I hadn't gotten mm-hmm. it written and I still haven't got it written. <laughs> um, almost like you're overthinking. You yeah, know? <laughs> almost. And, you know, actually I was because, you know, what I finally realized in the end, I had a big breakthrough with it a couple months ago where I realized I was trying to sit down and write, you know, a Gretchen Rubin style Mm-hmm. really well-researched, thoughtful, big idea kind of book. And the thing is, and unfortunately all research when it comes to overthinking leads back to anxiety. And while anxiety is very tied in with overthinking and while, you know, overthinking leads to anxiety, anxiety leads to overthinking, all overthinking is not anxiety-based. Uh, yep. There are so many different I guess, subsets of it. And I didn't want it to be a book about anxiety. So yeah, I finally figured out where I was getting, that's kind of where I was getting stuck on and I've shifted the approach I'm taking to the book. And now I feel like, ah, okay. I feel like I have something that's going to deliver value to people's lives mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, yeah, being a bit of a, I guess almost an ego driven type thing. You know, I, I think I've said before that the reason I blog is I, one of the main drivers is I like people to think I'm smart and you know this is where I was going with the book I was trying to write a book that that made people think wow this chick's so smart or she thinks of things in a way that nobody else thinks of and that's a lot of pressure to put yourself in. So it's not a good driver of a book yeah the a, a book needs to be driven and that's why I guess writing James's book and ghostwriting James's book was easier because it's not my ideas. No, yeah, I'm not writing that book to have people go, wow, you're so smart, Kelly. Um, I'm kind of writing it to have people go to James, wow, you're so smart. But they're not my ideas. I'm disconnected from them. So I'm able to approach the writing in a way of delivering value as opposed to proving how smart I am. Mm. And so I think that was kind of, it. that's been a gift to me. So being able to that have that disconnect has shown me the way with my own book. So I'm that's something that's exciting to me for next year. Next year I know how to write this book now and I'm going to get it written and I'm going to get it out there after being stuck with it for an entire year. Like, yeah, you know, I've been, this book's been in my brain for 18 months and I can't believe I haven't got it out yet, but at least I can now I, see I kind of love that. I love that irony <laughs> that that's, <laughs> But I think that maybe the book will be richer for it because you've you've been there, like you were stuck, you were neck deep in this yeah. and couldn't think of a way forward because you were all up in your head. Yeah. Uh, and 
And part of it was overthinking, but then you also needed to think on. Yeah, exactly. You just needed to let it sit there for a while, and you will find that easy. Easy is the wrong word. A path that has ease, you know, or yeah. a solution well, a that has that ease feels to it. Right, because before yes. I felt like you know I'm making a promise with the title, and it's funny because I know that the book will go well because every time I say the title to people they look at me and then mm-hmm. they uh, just a little smile comes across their face and they're like yeah i mm-hmm. yeah tell me when you've written that book um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know so i know that the market is there and i know that it's something that resonates that the person who it's for they know it's for them um yeah. and they know other people who it's for so i as so i think i also got a little bit caught up in like oh my gosh like there is there people who need this book and i must deliver and I got a bit freaked out by the must deliver bit as well. Mm. So, but I feel much more comfortable about the path to delivery now. Whereas before I was a bit like, uh, I just don't know how I'm, I'm going to deliver on this promise that I'm making to people. So yeah, interesting times. <laughs> people Very. are getting a lot of insight into the whole, um, how screwed up authors minds are in this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Didn't expect that that to be what this episode was about, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, so we are wrapping up the show for now. We, mm-hmm. I guess we do want to give a little apology to our listeners. This this kind of just panned out. We didn't intend it. We we finished recording in July. We fully intend. We finished that last season recording in July. We fully intended to pick up the new season three weeks after. and But that was that's all on me because that was the whole Jack Rabbit debacle and I was so spent which, and you were so well, gracious I, to just let oh, it go. Oh, no, I was <laughs> also very, very deep in James's book at the time and then I was, you know, delivering a, a first draft in September as well. So there was – it was both of us and we just both made an intentional decision to honour the whole point of the show mm-hmm. which is – less doing and more being but then you know there's also the other realities of we both have another podcast each you have uh, the slow home podcast I have straight and curly and commercially speaking those are audiences that are growing and let it be not so much so you know you have to make rational decisions so yeah as much as we enjoy speaking to each other and the chance to do it on this show and I think as much as people enjoy our conversations, I always say to you that me speaking to you is therapy and a lot of people have said, you speaking to Brooke is therapy for me too. Keep it going. First of all, it's a lot of pressure to put on Brooke. (laughs) (laughs) It's unfortunately not a good enough reason given everything else we've got going on in life for us to, yeah, to, to, to push through just to do that. So, yeah, we... We will miss these conversations we have with each other. We will miss delivering these conversations to the benefit of our listeners. We don't want to say never is never because who knows what the next year and a bit might hold. We might be in a position to pick things back up again and in which case we will do so. But I think it was important for both of us to feel like we had tied things up at least, you know, and to not feel like there was a – group of people out there waiting for our show to come back and we just, just never, never came, never back, came you know? back yeah exactly so hopefully and this I've isn't just a been tease. so grateful <laughs> yeah yeah that's right exactly I hope this doesn't have the opposite effect people just <laughs> had, had come to accept that we weren't coming back and then we come back just for one episode uh, <laughs> but it was more a, an opportunity I think first of all to catch people up on where we've been at the past uh, the past six months and also why 
the show is is going on hiatus indefinitely. Definitely. Um, because I think it's imp- I, I do think it's important to have the conversations that are honest about this sort of stuff mm. and say actually we talk about simplifying, we talk about not pressuring ourselves, we talk about not committing to too much. That's what it looks like. It looks like giving up things that we enjoy sometimes because there's other reasons for other things to happen that's that are stronger. It. Yeah, and that, and that's yeah. exactly it. The the giving up of something you enjoy doing is incredibly incredibly difficult but does have to be done more often than we would like to admit to be honest and i think you know i mentioned to you midway through that i don't fall into that overcommitting and overwhelm trap anymore mm-hmm. and the reason i don't anymore is because i have learned to let things go that i would really really love to do yeah but I know now the pressure that it puts me under and the pressure is is not worth it. And, you know, I guess I'm fortunate to have other things that I do love to do to fill the void, I guess. Yeah. So speaking of which, best places for people to find you going forward would be Straight and Curly. For sure. Yeah. For the people who yeah. love to listen, Straight and Curly is the place to find me and my very able co-host Carly Jacob and then if you want to find my writing which I'm still doing and I'm still finding uh, trying to find a way to deliver value to my my readers as opposed to my listeners is at kellyexeter.com.au and you Brooke uh so the slow home podcast is uh still running almost three years strong mm-hmm. now we are taking five weeks off over the Christmas New Year break, but we're doing a summer series, so that will be revisiting some of our um, most popular episodes of the past 12 months. And the best place to find everything is slowyourhome.com. Uh, the podcast is coming back in February next year, but it will be down from two episodes a week to one episode a week, which is very <laughs> similarly aligned with what we've just spoken yeah, I was about. Say, sounds like getting a very to do things sensible, that we enjoy. Very sensible decision. That yes. twice a week uh, recording schedule is quite punishing. It was, yeah, uh, worth it for this year. But um, you know, we're, we're in the midst of this <laughs> period of honesty, so yeah. <laughs> it was taking a toll. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, well, bro, Kel, <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've had. A lot, like I've learnt a huge amount from you over the past year and a bit, whatever it is, 70 episodes. So I just wanted to say thank you on the record for being as 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 conscientious is a weird word to use, <laughs> but but you are, you know, you you are, you commit to something and you're you're all in. And I've learnt a lot from you. I'm talking with everything, you know, professionally, emotionally, in terms of being a friend in terms of showing up for people and it's it's been nothing but a pleasure oh thank you Brooke and yes right back at you you I think a large part of the reason that I now don't fall back into overwhelm and the bad habits of the past is because of the last year and a bit of broadcasting with you you I just love the way you challenge my thinking I just love the way that we are so so different and you show me different paths to achieving similar things. And yes, you know, we talked about the difference between learning and growing. And I think a large mm. part of my growth in the last two years has come from doing this podcast with you. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. So, yeah. oh, Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cal, enjoy your break and, yeah, enjoy your, your January and 
resetting and enjoy all of it. I can't wait to see what next year holds for you. Yeah, same to you. And yes, yeah. And even though readers, uh, readers, listeners will not get to hear us speaking to each other, the beauty of this modern world is that we can still get to chat to each other offline. Exactly. And, exactly. Um, yeah, I look forward to doing that next year when you're in Canada. Thanks, mate. Bye. Bye.